Well, good morning again. And uh, Dwayne, thank you, brother. And that is a, a wonderful thing. And I love, I love Dwayne. Everybody knows his great, wonderful, humble spirit. Our Lord did this before the Passover celebration. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. And uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 17 today. You might say it's an unusual text for Thanksgiving, but I think that it is. And we'll talk about that. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it's time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm going to do, you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to do something a little different today. I want to talk through the scripture with you, and then I'm going to give you three points at the end. I want you to understand the scripture, and I think that's important. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The word in the Greek there is to the end, to the, to the very end, to perfection or completion. Jesus said, I've been with you guys. I've loved you from the start. Regardless of who you are, I've loved you. It occurred to me that in the church, sometimes we need to say that to each other, don't we? That I've loved you from the start and I'm going to love you to the end. We just, we just have to love each other to the end. I know it wasn't easy for Jesus. We see an example in Peter right here. Peter, Peter was Peter. He was impulsive. He was thoughtless sometimes. He didn't think through. He engaged his mouth. But boy, he loved the Lord and the Lord knew it. I'm sure living and working and ministering with Peter and the likes of all those men wasn't easy for three and a half years. But Jesus, but John said in his recollection of this years later, he said he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. That's very, very important. You and I need to make a conscious effort sometimes to love each other. That's just what we have to do. That's not always easy. 
Listen to how the foot washing was done. But it tells us, now before I get there, look, it said it was time for supper, but the devil had already put into Judas Iscariot to betray him. So this was something that God would do. This was demonic. It wasn't part of anything that uh, that was planned. It wasn't a work of God. It wasn't something that he just did on his own. But Judas had been primed by the devil for the work that God would have him do. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus would perform an act of love and of sacrifice. But Judas, Judas would still betray him. The Lord would get on his knees and wash his feet. <laughs> but that had no impact on him. He was lost. We see the method of the foot washing. L- look at uh, verse 3. Um, Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands, that he'd come from God, and that he was going by. Jesus knew his work. His work was about done. He got up from supper, and he laid aside his outer clothing. He took off all of his outer clothing, and he took a towel uh, and wrapped it around his waist. And he, you saw, when you wash someone's feet, you have to get down on your knees. You have to get pretty close. You can't do it standing up. He has to, he has to get down. In the, in the day, in the day of Jesus, the Gentile servants were the people that washed feet. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even make a Jewish slave wash someone's feet. It was considered so degrading. If, if you were in a home and you didn't have servants, then the youngest child would wash the feet of their parents. Because of marriage had such an inequality, the woman would wash the feet of her husband. It was always the role of the lesser to wash the feet of the greater. That was the way it was done. The action of it is pretty humble. And of course, I couldn't do that. But Jesus took off almost all of his clothing. And he got in front of them because washing someone's feet was a dirty affair. I mean, they had filth. You know, we, our feet don't really need to be washed. We wash and clean. Their feet had all kinds of road dirt in them, all kinds of um, all kinds of things. So it was a dirty affair. It was a necessary affair, something that was needed to be done. It, you couldn't go into a home without washing their feet. So Jesus did that. And of course, Simon Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't even understand the full impact of what I'm doing here. You haven't even grasp that yet. One day you will, but you don't know yet. And Jesus, or Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Peter, like, no, you're not going to do that for me. Just like he said before, you're not going to go to the cross for me. Peter's always getting in the middle. Jesus then teaches us a lesson that we need to hear. He said, one who's bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, and he's completely clean. You are clean, Peter, but not all of you. You, meaning all of you disciples, are clean. The, the word wash that John uses in verse 10 means it's settled once and for all. It means to bathe you all over. The word wash before then, it means to wash a particular part of your body like your feet. So Jesus is changing the subject here. He's saying that God has bathed us all over in salvation. And our union with Christ keeps us clean. So it's our job as a Christian, we are bathed initially 
to be saved and our sins are washed away. And then Christ keeps us clean day by day by staying in fellowship with him. And that's what Jesus is teaching him. So then when he did that, he put on his outer clothing. He'd washed all of their feet. And he says, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're speaking rightly since that's what I am. And so if I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, a lot of churches, I don't, I don't know our brothers and sisters, our primitive Baptist friends, they, they believe in foot washing. And there's, they take it right from this passage of scripture. And, and it's fine to do that. We can almost raise foot washing to an ordinance in the church with baptism in the Lord's Supper. But I don't think that's what the scripture means. Scholars tell us that Jesus is not saying you've got to wash everybody's feet. But what you've got to do, he said in this next example, in verse 15, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done for you. So you and I, an example, we can wash each other's feet. That's fine. If your brother or sister's feet are dirty, you can wash them for them. That is certainly an act of humble service. But what we should do as Christians is we should find an act of humble service to do for each other. That's our job as Christians. That's what we do. And I'm not opposed if some of you say, well, let's just have a good old-fashioned foot washing next Sunday. We could do that. That would be fine. But I would really like for us to find acts of service. Humble. Necessary. Practical. And do those for each other. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. And he says to us, I've given you an example. You should do just what I've done for you. Listen to verse 16. A servant is not greater than his master. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying, listen, if I can do this, you should do it as well. If I wash the feet of each, of each other, if I do an humble, simple, practical act of service for one another, then you ought to go do that as well. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says it very well. He says, the world asks, how many people work for you? But the Lord says, how many people do you work for? We like to lift ourselves up, be in charge. Jesus says to be like him, meek and lowly. Our measure of greatness is how many people we serve. That's a pretty powerful statement. And then he says, if you know all of these things, you are blessed if you do them. You know, it's one thing to know the Bible. I, AJ and I talk about the Bible a lot during the week. We talk about things. I know, I know a lot of things in the Bible. It's, it's not as hard to know a lot as it is to do what the Bible says. And I think this one is one of the hardest in the whole scripture. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to become meek and lowly and to serve people the way Christ served them. And I want you to remember how he did that. He took the most menial, the lowliest task that he could find. And he did that for his fellow brothers that he served with. I want to close with three points really why I'm doing it. I just want, want you to understand the scripture a little bit and I want you to close with three points. I want to first say to you that foot washing is really good, but what if you make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus? I was reading this week and saw this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2 
Paul writes of Jesus and he says, adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So that's an instruction for us. Adopt this same attitude that he's about to read. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when the time had come, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying that death on a cross was the most humiliating and the lowest of deaths that there were. No respectable person died on a cross. And he said that Christ emptied himself, assumed the form of a servant, took on the likeness of humanity, which, by the way, is enough of a, of a step down for him, and died on a cross. The most humble and humiliating ways of death. For this reason, God highly exalted him in the name and gave him a name that is above every name. You know, it's one thing for us Christians to throw a few morsels out to folks and say we've helped them or we've been of assistance to them. But it's another really to get involved. You know, to get dirty to get down on our knees and to really roll our sleeves up and do something. I've learned this lesson time and time again in ministry. You know, for years I felt like that ministry was a lot like the military, that you worked hard and when you worked hard that you would do well and you would be rewarded and that you would gradually advance up the ladder or whatever that ladder is, AJ. I'm not sure that I understood that. But whatever that ladder is, until one day you would serve God in a mighty and a powerful way. But I've learned that God works a lot differently. He doesn't need the high and mighty. He doesn't need the confident. He doesn't need the self-assured. In fact, I've, I've seen God take those people and people like me and humble them often. He really wants us broken. That's how he uses us. He wants us aware of our weakness, absolutely certain of our failure without him. Then God begins to use us. The more that I'm like that, which is hard for me, the more I find that God uses me in ways that I never imagined. So the further I get along and the more experience that I gain, I have less confidence in my own ability and my preaching and my teaching and in my leadership. The more that I face Sundays with fear and trepidation, the more I depend on him. And then I begin to understand a little bit about what Paul said over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, when he said, But everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. You see, that's the attitude that we need to have. Is that everything that we consider important is a loss except for Christ. So foot washing is good. But getting an attitude like Christ is far more important. Originally, number two, I'm going to talk to husbands today. And wives, you can listen. You're welcome to hear. You don't have to leave. Don't take a break. But I'm talking to husbands. Talking to husbands to be. Husbands who are. 
I was originally going to wash Debbie's feet, but she just doesn't like to get up in front of the church. She's so meek and lowly also. But I really didn't need to wash her feet because they're pretty clean, just like I didn't need to wash Brother Dwayne's feet because they're pretty clean as well. But you see, my wife does simple acts of service for me all the time. They're menial. They're unseen. In the scheme of things, they're pretty unimportant. She will wash clothes. She folds them. She cleans our house. She changes our bed linens. She pays bills. She prepares meals and on and on and on. You know all that. I come home. She always says to me, how was your day? And I say, it was okay. And she'll, and I'll say, how was yours? And she'll say, oh, it was fine. I probably didn't do anything as important as you did. Unless you realize that without her, I couldn't do my job. I think many wives are like that. Without our wives, we couldn't do what we do. Even that, many of our wives are professional people who have careers and work and contribution to the world just like we do. But they do so much to hold a home together. So men, you know, I always read Ephesians chapter 5 to young couples, and they all kind of shudder. And I even shudder when I say, wives, submit to your husbands, because the Bible says that, but I know how harsh some men are. And I know when they read that, they think they're going to lord over their wife. I've known some men foolish enough to do that. But they don't read the rest of that passage. Where it says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How about that? So guys, our challenge as a husband is to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus died for the church. He gave his life. He was showing the disciples here in that room what it would be like to give his life for people in an humble, meek way. What if, what if I give up something to be a husband? That I love her with a, with a humble heart, with a servant's heart. That I love her until it costs me something. That I do service for her because of her service to me. You say, well, Jim, you guys are kind of competing in service to each other now. And that's a great marriage, isn't it? When you're trying to love each other completely. Because the Bible says three times, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Men of the Greeks, and I don't know this, just exclusive to the Greeks, were very proud. They loved their bodies. They admired how beautiful they were. They couldn't even have a mirror, many of the poor ones, to look at them. But they knew they were really something, and they admired their bodies. Paul said, love your wife the way you love your body. As your own body. And then he sums it all up in verse 33. And he says to sum it up. Each one of you is to love his wife as himself. And the wife you are to respect your husband. I think he knew that it was easy for wives to love their husbands. And men had to really work to love their wives in a sacrificial love. So men we need to love our wives. Sacrificially. A lot of us think we're good husbands if we provide for our wives and we're faithful to them and we come home to them every night. But what if you took a foot washing kind of love every day 
and loved your wife. What a difference that would make. So number three, foot washing is fine. But what if we love those in the church with an humble, sacrificing kind of love? You know, that's what Jesus is directing this at, those closest to him. We see his ministry to the masses, and we don't see this. We see love. We see sacrifice. We see commitment. We see his firm teaching. We see his mercy and grace. But with those closest to him, he undressed and got down on his knees and washed their nasty feet. So I think we ought to apply this in the church. I think we ought to look around and say, within the body of Christ, we ought to, as as believers, we ought to lift each other up. Now, we have a pretty good church here. I'm really pleased with our church. I love you guys. You, you know, we don't have a lot of disagreements and a lot of conflict. You know, we we do pretty well. We We don't have anything that I know about that's brewing. There's always something going on with any group of people. But we do pretty good. It runs fairly well. But I jotted these things down this week over the course of several days. But we have in our church people who struggle to pay their bills. We have people who drive worn out cars that they cannot afford to replace. We have people in our church that cannot get a night out to a restaurant because they don't have the money or have somebody to watch their kids. We have people that are waiting on tests that bring life and death consequences. We have people that are helping loved ones with lifelong terminal illnesses like cancer or dementia or just plain old age. We have people that have nowhere to go for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or they might have a place to go, but they don't have enough money to budget a meal to put on the table. We have people in our church that are grieving silently over the loss of somebody dear to them that we have forgotten. Maybe it's been a long time, but grief never, ever goes away. It doesn't. Maybe they're discouraged. We have people that are discouraged by lack of friends in the church. I hear that. They need people to love them, to care about them, to reach out to them. Maybe they're alone. They would like an invite to dinner, a weekend away, or an afternoon at the movies. Maybe they would love for you to care enough to meet with them on a weekly basis and talk about the Bible or be a friend or pray with them. These things that I mentioned total thousands of acts of humble service by one person or family to another person or family. And there are ways that you can meaningfully serve each other. We could have our old-fashioned foot washing next week if you want to. But I think we ought to find ways to serve each other in this matter. Everybody. And you say, well, Jim, tell me one. No, you find them. You know people. You know them better than I do. Your neighbors and your friends and those that you don't know. You know, I'm always hearing, I didn't know so-and-so went to church. You got to go look for them. They're here. Love on them. Care for them. The best characteristic they could say about our church is that those people in that church serve each other. They love each other unconditionally. 
They're not all perfect. I know some of those folks. They're not the greatest, but boy, they sure love each other. That's the sign of a Christ-like church. You know, over in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. AJ, I'm afraid I've even read this parable with pride for a long time. Because Jesus says, whenever you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. So I always think then me not being one of the least needs to do it for those people that are. And then I've learned in several times in my life that I am a least, that I am broken, I am needing, I am hurting or wanting. And if we're all honest in here, everybody here at one time or another is a least, aren't we? So we don't have anything to be really proud about. And so what Jesus is saying to us in this parable, and I'll read it to you. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when will we see you hungry or, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to eat? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How about that? Philip Yancey says it best. He says, so Jesus has directed those that are needing and wanting and hurting and in prison to be the recipients of Christ's love. That we look at them, instead of seeing what we often see, we see Jesus. How about that? That will change your world. So it's not just throwing a morsel at someone saying we've done a little bit of something for the least but it's getting on our knees removing our protection and serving someone unconditionally that's what it is i think humility is the most basic attitude of christian service i think before we can serve christ we have to be humble i think that's one of the reasons that a lot of christians have a hard time in the church I think that's why a lot of churches have a hard time because there are a lot of proud people in the church. There are a lot of people that think they know and they must prevail and that they have to have it their way. Now, you see, when we serve Christ, we get on our knees and we lead. We used to say in the army, you lead from the front. Well, in the church, we lead from our knees. We lead in a place of service. I think that's a basic lesson. When we are humble, then, then, only then can we forgive somebody, for example. Because if you think you've wronged somebody or somebody's wronged you, you're never going to forgive them. As long as you think I'm right, they're going to have to apologize to me. But a Christ-like attitude, if you lower yourself down, you then say, hey, I want to make this right, whatever I have to do. Make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus. I I want to put up as we leave today, as we finish, I want to put up uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2. And this is is, um, 
a follow-on from what I was giving you today. This is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. And it's worded like nothing that I could ever imagine. I want you to see this. So he says, if you've gotten anything, this is taken from Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1 and following. The passage that I read you, this is the front. If you've taken anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privilege. He lived a selfless, obedient life, died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high. Honored him beyond anything or anyone. So that all the created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago buried and dead, will bow and worship before Jesus Christ. Call out his name. He is master of all. To the glorious honor of his father. This is Thanksgiving week. For many of you, it's a week of family and friends and plenty and celebration. But for a lot of people, it's not a happy week. It's a week of loss and grief. It's a week of the same as before, of problems that they cannot solve. And we have all of these folks in this room that could make a huge difference. I urge you, plead with you to find people, find ways, find a family, find a person, find some way to not only serve them now, but serve them from now on. Maybe it's each other. Maybe it's a person that you know. Maybe maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's time. Maybe. I don't know. I named out 10 or 15 things that came to my mind. Make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Let it speak freely and powerfully into our hearts today. Let us not read it and be the same. We thank you for your spirit that magnifies it and shows it and teaches it to us. Lord, I pray it will fall upon us as a church. We are so blessed. We have so much. You have done such a great work with us. God, use us. Make us humble before your throne that we can hear your word and obey it day to day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.